Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crowdy. Good to be with you, Father. Likewise, as it's, always. It's been a while. It has. We've been kind of running around doing a lot of stuff. But it has been. Yeah. It's good to be back in the saddle. Absolutely. Back with our listeners here at Outcast Catholic. Um, a really, like, just a prestigious group of people, I would say. The most prestigious. I would just a wonderful group of people, yeah. You know, um, I have gotten some international emails recently. Oh, from Australia or Sweden? No. Oh. More from Asia. Oh. And so to all of our Asian listeners, shout out to them. Welcome to Outcast Catholic. Absolutely. Glad we can support you in the faith here. And to anyone else listening across Iowa, the Midwest, or any other country, That's welcome right. to Outcast yeah, Catholic. Right in. We don't always get that many. We get a lot of emails, but we don't. we're always happy to, I mean, I don't know. I'm not all, you're the one who has the email account. I don't know how happy we are to get more emails in our inbox because priests get a lot of emails. Sure. But we're happy to, if someone, if someone wants to reach out, we'll support you. So I was driving here and I, I, um, well, of course had to stop at scooters, get a little espresso. You need your espresso. I, it's good. Your IV fix. Absolutely. I don't, the judgment is kind of strong from a non-coffee drinker, but that's fine. I'm not Um, judging. I was driving through. I, what I was, support your addiction. What was thank you? I was driving. <laughs> Father Ralph O'Donnell, who's a pastor in Omaha, who used to be the vice rector of, of Conception, is a very joyful man. Mm-hmm. And he was walking around drinking a cup of coffee the one day, and he's just—I mean—he takes delight in the small things. And he was walking with Father, um, oh, I forget his first name, Father Novak from Oklahoma City. Okay. And they were walking together, and Father Ralph said, "I think God was in a good mood when he made when he made coffee." <laughs> Father Novak, without missing the beat, goes, "Do you think that about uh, just?" Caffeine or all the other drugs too, <laughs> and just shut them right down. So I was driving from scooters here, and I I couldn't remember which street to get over here uh-huh. to the Chancery. Well, I was driving through um, uh, St. Joseph's Parish, you know, uh-huh. just like these old streets, and that was my my great grandma's uh, first cousin. I need to come up with like a way to describe that relationship. Monsignor Lily. Monsignor Lily was my longtime first cousin, pastor of St. Joseph's. Today. Yes, and as I drove past, my first thought was, what in the world did they do without email? Like ha- like our whole priesthood, it, it, it works because of email, mm-hmm. right? What do they do? They lots of letters. Letters and tons, phone calls. Lots of letters, tons of phone calls. Work of the phones all day. Yeah. Lots of mail to sort. Lots of mail. And I wondered how much they probably just like walked around a lot, like to their parishioners' houses because they're just in the neighborhood. Oh, sure. I'm sure they had a car too. Especially obviously. on first Fridays. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Wow. Anyways. so Absolutely. God bless them. Maybe we could go back to that. Yeah. Not have any emails, but do send us something. That'd be wonderful. It'd be great. Have you uh, traveled anywhere fun recently, Father Shane? Well, let's see. Um, I was in Storm Lake recently. Also, Very fun. Very, very fun. Um, I was also at Iowa State recently. Uh, I was actually at Ames for a Allstate speech. That was kind of fun. I just swung in for the morning and drove back. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went out to Phoenix to visit my brother. Oh, it was nice. good to see him. Nice and warm. I, it was very warm. Golfed one day. Oh, hadn't been out to Phoenix since before the pandemic, so it was good to catch up with my brother and see his turf once again. Excellent. Catch up, you know, have some good meals. That's great. Soak I up the yet sun. To be, I've never been to Phoenix before. Actually, I think I went when I was a one-year-old child because my great grandma lived there. But good memories. I don't know. Oh, zero memories. I don't remember <laughs> anything of it. 
Someday I'll go back. You mean as a one-year-old, you didn't like how get in 18 hot, holes? How hot is it? Yeah, to get in 18 holes? No, I didn't do it. How hot is it at this time of the year? And we're talking in February right now. So, you know, when there's no humidity in the air, the desert can really cool off at night. Right. You know, so it was getting to about 78 degrees during the day, and it was getting down to 30 at night. Yeah. And as soon as that sun would, would set, it's ooh, cold really it really fast. got cold. So I'm glad I packed some sweatshirts for the evening. That is good. Yeah. Um, I have yeah, been we there. Get, we don't get that uh, that that pleasure here in Iowa. It's no, just there's like, not a swing. When it stays hot, real hot, right? All the time. When it's cold, <laughs> yeah. real cold. Yeah. I have been to Phoenix in July when it was 115 every day. Like the low was like 106, and the high was like yeah. 115. A friend who, who went to school um, at Arizona State talked about he drove a motorcycle. Said sometimes it was so hot and so dry that his his like, eyeballs would get like stuck open because <laughs> of, uh, the air was just so intense. So yeah. That's good. Yeah, no, it is hot. Time. Um, there's been a lot of headlines coming out of Arizona recently. Yeah, that segue was smooth as silk. Yeah. That's right. There have been. Um, in fact, I've been getting a lot of text messages from young adults about this. There's been lots of articles online. I've even noticed like some of the major news networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, they've been running yes. articles about this. And what's interesting about this, and we're going to eventually tell you everybody what we're talking about, but what's interesting <laughs> is that this is kind of like a second like resurfacing of this issue. I know. Because Detroit had it a few years Detroit, ago. Detroit, and then actually a good fr- a friend of mine from, uh, from Oklahoma City, it was the same experience, right? Mm. So what we're talking about, everybody, is that there was, for a couple decades, this tradition, not really a tradition, the practice of kind of probably... Um, uh, ill-formed practice of baptizing by saying not what the church offers as the formula for baptism of I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, but replacing the I with we. Right. So this kind of surfaced a couple of years ago when it's been kind of like rumbling, like, among, you know, like there's been questions sent to the Vatican about it over the years. Right. But especially recently, a, a priest in Detroit and then a priest after that in Oklahoma City, they saw um, a video of their baptism and realized that they were baptized with this, we baptize you. Right. Um, and then after fill us in, was it, did they, did they kind of officially ask the CDF? Yes. So this occurred at St. Gregory's parish in Phoenix. And I don't, the pastor didn't have any ill, ill will. You know, I don't think he was intentionally trying to like upend the, the church's liturgical traditions of the sacraments, but he does admit that this went on for many years and Phoenix uh, under Bishop Olmsted's leadership did refer the case to the Vatican to the um, to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Uh, no, perhaps it actually went through worship and the sacraments office. I'm not quite sure, but anyways, one of the Vatican offices uh, weighed in on this, and they said no, as as has been upheld in other cases that have been studied. Uh, you cannot change the formula to we, and if you do, they're it invalid. Is invalid, right? And therefore, all the other sacraments that have come after that were invalid because you weren't a Christian in the first place, right. sacramentally speaking. Mm-hmm. Might have known things about Jesus and might have been trying to live the Christian life. And on a, on a kind of a, you know, the theology of grace, have been receiving actual graces from God, right, who's been acting in your life, right. but not the sacramental grace of baptism. Right. right. Um, and that has hit the world, taken the world by storm, because that is a huge, huge thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a couple things to talk about here. Uh, this pastor down in Phoenix wasn't trying to, like, you know, upend church theology, but was, I, I think... Trying to be inclusive. Trying yeah. to be inclusive, to say, we as the parish community are welcoming you. We, your parents, we, your godparents, me, your pastor, 
The entire congregation here is welcome you into the Christian tradition. You are joining the Catholic family through this baptism. Um, and you were joining the long communion of believers going back to Jesus and the apostles. However, as the Vatican has clarified, and this doesn't ever seem to be making the news in, you know, the, the mainstream media is just complaining about this, and they're getting quotes from random theologians who say, oh, yeah, 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 this is so scrupulous, blah, blah, blah. Right. But no one's actually ever quoting the Vatican as to what the theological content is of this, of this you know, issue here. And so the real issue is it's not that we're, you know, we can't be inclusive to say we, the community, welcome you and affirm you as a new member of, of the Catholic family. The issue is that we are not doing the baptism. The issue is that it's Jesus. Jesus is the one baptizing. Jesus is the one whose power and presence is there in his sacraments. It is Jesus who is claiming each son and daughter as his own in marking them as a Christian it is Jesus who is the one washing away personal and original sin, right? Uh, these are Jesus' sacraments. So when we say the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the I there, the pronoun I, is not just symbolizing a human power or the human agent pouring the water. The I is much more cosmic, right? The, the I is God himself, right? Right. Absolutely, yeah. And I think what's helpful in... <clears throat> just so we're not, like, hacking everything off of, you know, the pillar has recently been talking about this, especially in the weeds of canon law, right, the pillar podcast. And they, they made this great point where it's like, it's not just that the church is all about the words. It's not just that it's the wrong word. It's that the meaning conveyed by words matters in the sacraments. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's why, like, the words of consecration in the Eucharist, they matter, because of what it means, right? right? Because Jesus gave us these words to use and pass on, right? right? And I think we can see in different sacraments, like the the canonical form or the the, the the words that are used, right? Confirmation, that changed after the council, right? The the words, the specific words that were used to confirm changed just a little bit. The meaning didn't change at all, right? Mm-hmm. But what the what the um, what these Vatican office is just saying and these theologians are saying is that, no, actually that changes the meaning. And, and when we're conveying meaning, we're conveying... Jesus, the word of God, and that's when sacraments stop doing what they're supposed to do. Right. Because it's a different meaning. Right. So for, you know, the text messages that I've been getting, the emails people have been criticizing, like, why, I mean, is the Catholic Church trying to make life difficult for people? Are you actually trying to drive people away from your membership to go back and have to tell thousands of people that their sacraments have been invalid and need to be redone? You know, all, all seemingly looking really, really persnickety and scrupulous about a, a little tiny pronoun. <laughs> you know, so many people are raising the question, like, doesn't the Catholic Church have enough problems with all the scandals that have gone on? You're losing membership. You've had, you know, sex abuse scandals. And now you want to get persnickety about pronouns? Is that really the best marketing move, Catholic Church? Right. And, and and from, you know, that's kind of the odd extra coming from outside, but then the the odd intro from from an, a number of priests who say, "Well, those they're just those young priests who are so rigid, who care about all the rules, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, no, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, as you said just moments ago, words matter, mm-hmm. right? And I've been pointing out, if if we're not, fi- you know, if we're not really fixed, if we're not steadfast in what the words are, well, then the floodgate opens up because it gets pretty, you know, loosey goosey in a hurry, and you might as well start making up your own formulas. And then you have to start wondering, well, are you really rooted in the Catholic Church or have you just made up your own branch of Christianity? 
But in addition, Father, to what you've just said about words matter, and words actually bear the weight of a sacramental you know, expression going on, as sacramental grace is being you know, poured forth in word and action, those words also are attached to ecclesial authority. And, and I think this is what's really being lost in a lot of the discussion. Um, I read one secular media article in which they interviewed some random theologian that I didn't think had any qualifications trying to, to weigh in on this. And this theologian just said, well, you know, we don't exactly know what the formula was, like going back to like, I don't know, the third or fourth century. And there might have been adaptations culturally. And so why get persnickety about this? This is just a bunch of, you know, scrupulous people getting all bent out of shape about nothing. Okay, well, first of all, I think we do have some pretty good records of our liturgical rubrics over the centuries. But more importantly, the words that the church endorses with ecclesiastical authority given to her by God really do matter. There's a link between what is celebrated and what is authorized by the, the power of the church. Okay, uh, And if that, if that is broken down then all of a sudden the words kind of lose their, their, their authenticity from the power that they are derived from, through Jesus, from Jesus through his church, right? Yeah. Always acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this really gets lost. Um, you know, has, has, has the translation of the Mass been updated over the centuries? Yes. So someone might say, well, so then the words are kind of, you know, fluid, or fluid like, yeah. and the words are kind of relevant. Well, no, the words don't stand alone. The words stand as authorized by the church, and that bears weight in heaven. You know, there's a reason why Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the, hell, uh, the, gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We take that very seriously. And uh, when the church speaks with her authoritative voice, in how we will worship God and what is sacrosanct in terms of faith and morals that actually does have ramifications for eternal life. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not just, you know, this isn't a marketing ploy from central management at all just try and keep us on the same page so we look uniform. No, there, there's, there's huge spiritual ramifications when that authority speaks and it is celebrated in this manner then there's a spiritual realm that gets opened up that is also impacted even in eternal life. Yeah, absolutely. As you're sharing that, I'm thinking of this. Without, without proper authority, without ecclesial authority um, of the bishops, of the pope, we would just become this like museum of antiquity mm-hmm. where the, the, the job would be to try to preserve as best as possible these ancient texts, right? right. We would be trying to preserve the most like authentic, you know, pieces of scripture, which we try, right? We want to have the most like authentic scripture, right? But without the tradition that's always guided by ecclesial authority, we just become this museum of antiquity, right? Mm -hmm. We try to have the oldest possible like sacramental kind of practice, the oldest possible um, documents and things like that. But your guy, Carl Newman, right? Who talks so much about the development of doctrine Mm -hmm. that only happens in the context of the proper authority that guides the development of doctrine, right? Because, what we can clearly see is that, yeah, the apostles are given this deposit of faith, 
But it, it takes time to, to unpack that and to understand that. And that's why there's still theologians doing all of this work now. And to have that, and like praise God, to have this guiding principle of the authority of the church given, given to Peter, given to the apostles that's been passed on, that's what allows that development to flourish and not just go off the rails into like, okay, it becomes whatever we want it to be and just becomes pure relativism within mm-hmm. the faith. Nor does it remain this just kind of, yeah, just becoming like a, a museum. Because Jesus is alive and he's he's revealing himself to us in time. He's revealed himself to us definitively through the through the scriptures, through tradition. But as, as that's passed on, as it's developed, as it's broken open, thankfully we have the authority that we assent to of of yeah church fathers of of those who we accept their position that they've been given um, from the church to help guide that process. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, yeah. And speaking about this authority. Um, what I have been telling a lot of people as they've been arguing and really criticizing this decision of the church to declare all these Arizona baptisms invalid, one of the things that I've been referring to when it comes to church authority is how church authority gets expressed in exorcisms. This isn't something that the average person can just witness on a daily basis, but I think it's actually one of the most prominent ways to see church authority at work. Interesting turn. I'm yeah. excited. Um, I am not the exorcist of our diocese. Uh, I'm not involved in exorcism ministries, but I do have priest friends who are. And I, I was once visiting with a priest friend, and he said, you know, when you go in as a prayer team to support the exorcist, everyone goes to confession, and you go in and pray together over whoever is, is needing an exorcism. There is a clear distinction in how the demonic spirits react to people on the prayer team versus how the demons react to the actual exorcist. Mm. Um, and just for the clarification, exorcist is somebody who's been specifically given that, that kind of not just job, but that particular like mission uh, of their, of their ministry right. by their bishop. Right. Authorized yeah. by the bishop for that particular ministry. Um, in fact, I, re- I remember one priest just saying, you know, our prayers and what we were discussing and what we were desiring you know, really couldn't even compare to when the exorcist stood in and in his authority given to him by his bishop, an authority given to the bishop going all the way back to Christ and the 12 apostles. When that authority spoke, it was a, it was a game changer in the room. Mm. You know, this priest said, I was on the prayer team and anything I was offering was supportive. Um, but in fact, demons would even you know have the potential to start mocking those who maybe try and play the exorcist or who try and you know use the formulas. If they don't have the same authorization, standing in the apostolic authority given to them by their bishop, the, the power of those prayers was very different. Um, and again, the average person doesn't get to see this because you know you just don't walk in off the streets and go see an exorcism. But the, the reaction of the demons to the authority of the church when spoken in the proper office using the proper formulas as authorized by the church in her teaching voice and in her juridical voice, that has huge ramifications. And, and that's just kind of one little small but very dramatic way that you see it in action. Because uh, we, we don't always get to see kind of the supernatural realm and how it reacts to earthly power within the church. But that's one area where it is visible. So these words really do matter, and the words that are backed up by church authority, authorized, saying, this is what is going to unite us, and this is how 
divine grace is going to be present, given through the authority that's been entrusted to us from the apostles. It all makes a big difference, and, and, and we can't underestimate these things. So we're, we're not trying to be persnickety here. We're not trying to just make life difficult for people. We're actually saying, if you start getting, getting loosey-goosey with the formulas and the words, all of a sudden you've really stepped away from that which is given to us from the apostles, but you also step away from the authority that backs up those words and helps to make those words efficacious. Absolutely. And just one last little thing that was on my mind was that the truth of the credibility of authority that's present in the church, that can look so broken when we see like it not being exercised well. Mm-hmm. But it's something given from Christ that actually calls those of us as priests or, or bishops, it calls us on to accept that authority given from Christ in, in humility, mm-hmm. right? Rather than kind of like, well, look, <clears throat> there's lots of broken experiences of the authority of the church, right, where people are not following. Well, that's just a greater invitation to follow more closely Jesus who gives us his own authority. Right. right? Absolutely. So uh, our, our hearts go out to anyone in Arizona who feels like they have to need, they now are being invited uh, to go redo their, their baptism and perhaps other sacraments as well. But let's pray that that is a, an opportunity to renew, renew kind of their own desire for sacramental grace, to understand the sacraments better, and hopefully that just brings kind of a, a springtime of appreciation for the authority of the church and the tradition that we stand in for the Diocese of Phoenix and for around the world. Father Travis, it's always good to be with you. Likewise, Father Shane. Thanks for your great comments, and God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.